I'm your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. I'm Craig James, your host, and this is Big Audacious Idea. The Big Audacious Idea we'll be discussing today is a thing called leadership. What it's been, what it is, and what it needs to be during this time of history and into the future. Further, there's the big idea of not only being a leader, but also making or developing other leaders. Today, we have the pleasure of welcoming Mr. Scott Miller to Big Audacious Idea. Scott is an executive vice president of thought leadership at Franklin Covey, the powerhouse of leadership and competitive advantage. Scott has an impressive 30 year doing well leadership stuff. He's a pro of pros in this regard. And his book, Management Mess to Leadership Success, 30 Challenges to Become the Leader You Would Want to Follow is a bestseller. This in part is thanks to Scott's vulnerable reflections on his failures and his messes and not just his successes. Scott, welcome to the show. Craig, man, thank you for the platform. Honored to be here. To start things off, tell us a little bit about you, Scott, and what is an EVP of thought leadership? That's an interesting title. I'm trying to, f to fulfill that every day. I've been in the firm for 25 years, the Franklin Covey Company, public leadership development company, based here in Salt Lake City, uh, 15 years on the sales side, was the chief marketing officer for eight years, and then stepped away, Craig, from that role two years ago to really build our company's thought leadership. Thought leadership, in essence, is the new public relations. You know, gone are the days where people are issuing press releases or trying to call up a newsroom. There aren't newsrooms anymore. The idea of, you know, pulling your content toward you is gone. You got to push it out. So my job in the company is to make sure that the books we publish, the columns we author, the keynote speeches, the podcasts we participate on are aimed at organizational leaders interested in perhaps adopting our expertise in their organization. So my job really is business development, but it's through thought leadership. So I serve on the executive team. I am an officer in the firm, report to the CEO. I'm an author myself. Like you, I host a podcast, a radio program as of late on iHeartRadio and a pretty prolific blogger on LinkedIn and such. So our job as thought leaders in the company is to make sure that those who need to know have access to and are aware of Franklin Covey's point of view on leadership development. So what's interesting about hearing that you've got not just a two-year or 10-year, but a 25-year plus-plus uh, experience, so you've seen trends and changes, and one can't help but think, gee, we're in an interesting time to say the least. Whether someone is listening to this amidst the pandemic or hopefully sometime soon past it, things have changed, that's for sure. And so before we talk about the changes in leadership. Maybe we go back to the basics and get definitional for a minute. Let's start with, well, first of all, what is leadership in your mind? What does leadership mean to you and why does it matter? I think leadership is communicating to other people their worth and potential so clearly that they come to believe it, see it in themselves. So a leader's job is to build capability, build capacity, build confidence, 
Yes, their job is to set mission and vision and values and to clarify systems and structures and strategies. But I think a leader's job really is to build confidence in individual people so that they come to believe in themselves as much as you believe in them. And then when you believe that mindset, when you believe that your mindset as a leader, Craig, is to get work done with and through other people, then a whole variety of things come into play pretty easily. I'm not sure too many leaders have that mindset. They believe their job is to be the smartest person in the room. Their job is to be the genius. Their job is to, if you want it done right, do it yourself. So that's a mindset shift that many need. What's interesting about that is we, we chatted recently with uh, Peter Georgescu, who you might know about. He wrote Capitalists Arise, and we talked about uh, the future of capitalism and how it might be changing. And one of the things he said is it's so important in the future for CEOs to be leaders who are capable of thinking of the other and some basic human things, caring, empathy. And what I found interesting is he also spoke to the fact that the worker, quote unquote, the laborer, uh, needs to be, in essence, a leader too. And to give oneself permission to think, not just do, and bring value, not just activity. That leads to a question. If you were to imagine like who the leaders are and who should be leaders, who are those people in an organization or in an institution? Craig, I think that is the fundamental question. Not everyone should be a leader of people. Not everyone should be an anesthesiologist or a commercial airline pilot or a chemical engineer, me least among those three roles. Not everyone should be a leader of people. And I think too often organizations promote the top producing person to become the leader of that team, right? The most efficient dental hygienist or the most creative digital designer or the top producing salesperson. And too often, I think we lure people into leadership roles. Harvard Business Review produced a study a few years ago that said the average age that someone receives their first promotion into a management role, Craig, age 30. But yet the average age they receive their first formal leadership development training, age 42. And that empirically, quantifiably, you've got, you know, well-intended people. 12 years of mess. 12 years of wrecking havoc. <laughs> 12 years of, you know, uh, of damaging people. Not because they're bad people, because they're bad leaders they haven't been invested in. To your question, you know, if you're going to become a leader, you have to really deeply understand what that looks like. How does being a sales leader look differently, feel differently, do differently than being a sales producer. This requires you to have high courage conversations, move outside your comfort zone, discuss the undiscussables, build capacity in others, no longer have the spotlight on you, but turn it on others. I think, like I said, too often people are lured into leadership roles because it's the only way to become promoted, earn more money, have more influence, gain more power. So organizations need to be very thoughtful around have you sat down with your leadership pipeline and talked to them about, we're thinking of making you a leader. Let's talk about, is this the right journey for you? Because what you don't want to do is what happens a lot of times, Craig, is you promote the top producing salesperson like me to become a sales leader. And for whatever reason, they implode and they hate it. And they realize this isn't the job I really want at all. And now they quit or worse, they get fired and now you've lost your top salesperson and your leadership pipeline. So I think there are certain characteristics that should be really abundantly talked about with great clarity and transparency and vulnerability before someone is promoted or they're even approached about being 
promoted. Scott, you and I have a lot in common in that regard, and I'm grateful to say I was a successful salesperson, individual contributor. Then suddenly I was responsible for the team. And the guy I reported to, a fellow named Dave, said, I've got news for you, Craig. Here's what we need to do. Here's your leadership training. I was grateful to have him. He said, if you come into the office with a bad attitude or you're not bringing energy to your team and helping them, supporting them and leading them, don't show up. And it wasn't a threat. He said, I mean it. You're, you're no longer about producing results. You're about helping others produce results and guiding and leading them. And they're going to tune into your energy and your every move, and you better have a positive impact. And I, I remember that lesson. And so very interesting that we have this gap of time in terms of position placement versus education around that position placement, which leads to the next part of our conversation about time and timing and back to the idea that we're in a unique time right now. And if you were to think about the practice of leadership, is it the same old thing like it's always been? Who cares what's going on? Or is it shifting and changing now, given some of the things happening in the world, do you think? Sure. Well, of course it's shifting, right? I mean, we're in complete chaos and that's the foreseeable future. And who knows what even a year will look like from now. I think the big fundamental insight that I would share, not necessarily my insight, but an insight, is leaders in a pandemic, leaders in a virtual world need to ensure that they're checking in, not checking on. And that that paradigm, am I checking in with my people? What do they need? What are their fears? What are their passions? Can I also talk about my fears and my passions? Can I give them some license to understand it's a tough time right now? People know when they're being checked on. I've had so many people say to me on, on interviews or in coaching sessions, well, I'm worried that my team members aren't working. And I've thought, that thought's never crossed my mind. I have a small team, about nine people now, down from 40 when I was a CMO. It's never once crossed my mind to be worried about, are they working? They're working their hearts out. Now, I might be concerned, what are they working on? Are they clear on the top priorities? Are they still clear on what a quality outcome looks like? I'm not worried about their work ethic because I hired trustworthy people. I hired self-starters. I hired people who use their own resourcefulness and their initiative. But I think one of the big changes is this paradigm, this mindset. If your job still is to get work done with and through other people. Mm. And I've said that now two or three times because I think it's profound. That's your key role as a leader. If that's your mindset, then all your Zoom calls are different. Your conference calls are different. Your drive-bys, if you hook up for lunch in a restaurant outdoors, separated with masks, whatever it is, then the questions you're asking are different now. I think a lot of things change. The principles of leadership don't change. Mm. Listen more than you talk. Don't rush in and save the day. Are you building capability? Have you created a safe environment? where it's okay for people to talk about their insecurities and their fears? Have you declared your intent? Are you creating clarity or are you creating obfuscation? Are you running through fear-based leadership or are you allowing people to share their concerns? Those things stay constant, right? I think the connection on face-to-face -face Zoom calls and Skype and Microsoft Teams, it's vital to see people's body language. You can also see their background, right? Do they have a place set up? Are they feeling secure? Are their kids running around? Yes. My kids are running around, right, all the time. Make it safe for other people to tell you their truth, probably more so now than ever. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Tell me about this. Um, back in the 80s, I used to call it a paradigm yeah. because there was this fellow, Dr. Stephen Covey, who wrote uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And I first saw the word paradigm, <laughs> paradigm, and wondered what the heck a paradigm is. And it's maybe a dated term, but it's still very present and current. Tell me about this paradigm thing. But I think it isn't Latin paradigma. I think it's actually, you're right there in the track. So Dr. Covey didn't invent this idea of a paradigm. He popularized it by most accounts in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now in its 30th year, 40 million copies sold. Mm. But it's probably the most fundamental concept amongst all the seven habits. It isn't a habit. It's a mindset that leads you to become an effective person. Your paradigms, as you know, are your belief system the lenses through which you see the world. It's really your mindset. And all of us have them deeply ingrained in us, deeply inculcated in us early in our lives from our parents, our neighbors, our aunts, our rabbis, our imams, our priests, our ministers, our junior high school principals, our elementary school teachers, people that taught you belief systems, how Catholics view Muslims, how straight people view people and the LGBTQ plus community, how white people view black people, how white people view black lives matter, how black people view white privilege, mm. what that means. And so all of us, even as leaders have these deeply ingrained mindsets, paradigms on how we see ourselves, how we see our industry, our organization, how we see the role of leadership, how we view the people who report to us as being capable or lazy or smart or smarter than us or fill in the blanks. I think great leaders are those who are emotionally agile, who are intellectually nimble, who are willing to challenge all of their deeply entrenched paradigms every day right now. I'm, as a white male in my 50s, needing to challenge, what does white privilege mean? How can I use something I never knew existed a couple of years ago? How can I unpack that and use advantages that I've been offered that I never knew I even had to help other deserving people? It's that paradigm that we have around the role of leadership that should be challenged pretty frequently now more than ever. Fortunately, we again, we have a lot in common. As an executive coach, I work with leaders who, in large part, are working to be more self-aware. And what happens quite often is when we go through a self-awareness exercise, we tend to go into judgment, self-judgment. The should word starts coming out. And so I encourage clients to just start with the awareness. Then we go from there. And so in the case of a paradigm, if we have it and it's sort of unconscious, now I am leading you into how-to stuff. I suggested this wouldn't be a how-to discussion, but it's insatiable to go there. How do we tune into and become aware of our paradigms for starters? Well, to your point around self-awareness, this gets a lot of pablum and a lot of lip service, but it probably is the most fundamental contributor 
to you being an effective individual, to you being a principled leader, is to know what is it like to work for you? What's it like to be in a meeting with you? What's it like to work a trade booth with you? What's it like to be married to you? The more you understand what it's like to be in a relationship with you, the better and more effective leader you can be, the more you can be aware of your paradigms, right? Well, one of my paradigms is that leaders typically, the buck stops with them. So they need to generally have all the answers or make the final call, or they're hired to be the most creative, most intelligent, most educated, most well-spoke, whatever it is. And so I think the closer you are in your relationships where you make it safe for other people to tell you their truth about what it's like to work with, for, around you, the more you can challenge some of your paradigms. I didn't understand this concept of Black Lives Matter, no lives matter can matter before Black Lives Matter, right? I didn't understand that all lives didn't matter. You know, a year ago, I might have said all lives matter. And the more I challenged my paradigms, my belief systems, and listened to friends of mine who are Black, who are non-Caucasian, who are African-American, and better understood what their journey has been like, what it feels like to be pulled over by a Caucasian police officer, what it feels like to run and jog at night, the more I have challenged my paradigms around that, that fundamental belief systems, because I couldn't relate. My paradigm was a police officer pulls me over, I'm going to get a ticket. I'll go pay it. Not I might get shot. I might get taken to jail. I might get arrested or suspected of anything. Couldn't even relate. So the more I have broadened my friend base, the more I have checked my own belief systems, the better I understand what white privilege means. I now have no offense at white privilege. You know, four months ago, I might've taken offense to it. Now I much better understand things that I never even knew were in existence. So that's come, the ability to challenge your paradigms, I think comes from a place of confidence, but also from a place of vulnerability. Because you can be confident and vulnerable at the same time. Humility is born out of confidence. Confident people are capable of being humble people. They're capable of challenging their paradigms. Arrogant people are incapable of being humble people and therefore less willing to challenge their own paradigms. You know, Dr. Covey again, seek first to understand, if I remember correctly. And you remind me of a dear friend, and that's a good thing. He would always say, Craig, let's not just listen to what people are saying. Let's listen to what people are feeling. And I think that's very powerful. And that takes a strength to be vulnerable. And I love that paradox, but it's powerful. It takes strength to be vulnerable. Vulnerable does not mean weak. These principles that I'm hearing holding true indeed, but increasingly important. And if we look toward the, the future, we started going there, but as we round out our conversation, if we were to think about what's next, not how do we deal with remote work teams now, but like what's next? If you were to be the crystal ball, big idea, imagineer of the future of leadership, what do you think's on deck? Carnage. I think you can be realistic and still be optimistic. I, I think we don't know, right? I mean, we, we, we've talked about this pandemic because it's ever present in our lives, but the entire nature of work 
is changing like we've never seen it in our lives. And you hear this change is the new normal. We've heard that for decades. What we're going through right now is so fundamentally different than what Dr. Covey talked about, right? Kind of the ever-present whitewater of leadership. Leadership in the future, again, it will be grounded on the same fundamental principles, right? Are you transparent? Do you clarify expectations? Do you declare your intent? Do you practice loyalty to everyone? One of my favorite quotes from Dr. Covey is, you build trust with those who are present when you are loyal to those who are absent. I think fundamentally, leadership in the future is going to be all based on relationships, not proximity, not just technology, but as a leader, are you able to develop relationships that are grounded in trust? Because this human resource adage, Craig, that people are an organization's most valuable asset is total bunk. It's not true. People are not an organization's most valuable asset. It is the relationships between those people that will be your ultimate competitive advantage. It's in its perhaps nuance, but I think it's prophetic because Craig can have all the technology in the world at his fingertips. Craig can be set up in his home office. Craig can be, you know, a black belt master Six Sigma. And Scott can be a Rhodes Scholar from Oxford, all the same technology. But if Craig and Scott can't get along, can't compliment each other, can't forgive each other, can't pre-forgive each other, then no organization, no leader is going to be able to lead them to greater, better sustainability. So leaders have to understand that their investment in the relationships, not just between themselves and their team members, but you as a model, as an incubator, a pollinator of healthy interpersonal relationships, which are going to be harder than ever. Because we can't go to TGI Fridays on Wednesday for a team lunch. We can't sit in a conference room and read body language, understand as easily what's going on. Dr. Covey said, with people, fast is slow and slow is fast. So as leaders, as our connections become increasingly completely dependent on technology, we're going to have to be resistant to move out of what Dr. Covey would call an efficient mindset and more focused on an effective mindset because you cannot be efficient with people. You can be efficient with texting and washing your car and taking your kids to school in the morning and packing the lunch, but you cannot be efficient when it comes to giving people feedback to listening to their fears, listening to their passions, listening to their struggles. That requires a fundamental slowdown of your energy, your intent, your natural style, perhaps to be more efficient. Productive people who are naturally more efficiency-minded, productive leaders who have a get things done, a proclivity to bias, where they work well in a, in a crisis. You know, I work well under pressure. I love working in a crisis. And if one doesn't exist, oh, I'll cook one up because <laughs> I love the adrenaline and the dopamine. Those leaders will no longer be effective. In most cases, everything done slower will be done better. And that's such an irony right now, too, with hyperconnectivity, with all the technology we have, everything's now, 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 fast, next minute, next minute. And the other thing, too, I remember a million years ago dating myself, there was a thing called the Palm Pilot. Maybe you remember. And it was the first time we would carry around contact info. Like, you know, there was this fear 
if I dropped my Palm Pilot, someone picked it up, they'll have all my relationships. And I remember my partner in life, Sue, and I saying, no, they won't. They'll have names and phone numbers, but they won't have the relationship. And so this qualitative component you're speaking to, this thoughtful, deliberate, midst chaos and fear, uh, all the more the time for it. And as I think to the future, uh, the who question comes in again, and I think about non-us non-50-something-year-old white guys, the future of, of Gen X and the next and the next. And I wonder, as we look toward the future and we challenge our audience, our listeners, to think a certain way or do a certain thing, that's one part. The other part is, do you have a bit of color and salt and pepper you could put around that answer that has to do with our future, which ain't us? What do you think the audience, our audience, should be thinking about? And what do we do about this great young talent that's out there? We could spend a lot of time on that question, right? I think that traditional leaders, people that are perhaps our age, regardless of the gender or race, they're going to have to be more agile in their thinking, much more nimble. They're going to have to take their deeply entrenched paradigms around what careers look like, loyalty, longevity. It's just fundamentally different. The average career now runs about three years. That's average. I've been at Franklin Covey for 25 years. My father was at Lockheed Martin for 32 years. So there's no question. One of my paradigms has been to judge people who only want to stay to three years. There's no loyalty there, so I won't overinvest in them. The younger generation brings a level of agility, of intellectual curiosity, of technical capability that is remarkably valuable in what might be the older generation. So there's these entrenched generational differences that are palpable. But what governs them all is that regardless of your generation, regardless of your race, regardless of your age or your sexual orientation, everyone wants the same things. People want to be respected. They want to be valued. They want to be heard. They want to deploy their passions and skills against something meaningful, a purpose. I think people's needs change. I don't think people need titles like they used to. I don't think they need the security like perhaps you and I were used to. So I think there's a meeting of different needs, but of similar values. Everyone fundamentally wants to contribute, be respected. They want to learn and they want to make the world a better place. Whether you are working for the county utility division, whether you're working for Franklin Covey, whether you're working for Google, people want to contribute. But most importantly, they want to be respected and they want to be treated properly. And that's a wave across companies with diversity and engagement and inclusion and equity. And I think for some of the older, more entrenched leaders that see their mindsets, well, this is the way we do things. There's a hierarchy and you'll respect me. Th those days are gone. You know, Scott, my only regret in this discussion is your lack of energy. I hope you can amp it up next time. It's easy uh, for me to amp kidding. it up. I've been toned down today, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. And we've been listening to Scott Miller of Franklin Covey on Big Audacious Idea. I'm Craig James, your host. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Scott. My pleasure. We are joined today by Scott Miller on Big Audacious Idea. Now, here's a guy who's not afraid to face the future. A matter of fact, he excitedly speaks to the future by saying it'll be rife with chaos and carnage. One of the things that really stuck with me was this idea of checking in versus checking on. You know, checking on someone, did they do their job right? 
No, no. He he's talking about this idea of checking into what they're feeling, what they're thinking, what they need. You know, that's taking a whole new kind of EQ SQ ability and is increasingly important as we look to the future. Also, this idea of efficiency is uh, somewhat outmoded. Yes, we want to have an efficient operation, but we have technology and systems to help us with that. But when it comes to people and leading, uh, effectiveness is what we need, not just efficiency. And effectiveness takes a very conscious and thoughtful leader. I think it's so important that we not just listen to and value our talent of the future, but entrust and believe and empower our emerging talent. And when it comes to paradigms, what's so interesting about that is that we're not often aware of them. We forget that we have a lifetime of programming that has us thinking a certain way. We think it's the worldview, but it's our worldview. And we have to have the courage and the vulnerability to have the strength to challenge our own paradigms and assumptions. I'm Craig James, your host, and you've been listening to Big Audacious Idea, the show that invites you to think big. Let us know what you think about our chat with Scott by tweeting me at cjamescatstrat. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us in your podcast app. It really helps. Big Audacious Idea is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more about our podcasts at evergreenpodcast.com. Special thanks to our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, production director, Bridget Coyne, and to my co-executive producer, Michael D'Aloya. Thanks for listening. Until next week, don't just think audacious, be audacious. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.